Welcome to another episode of Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham, and today I have Eric Koho in the studio with me. Eric serves as the Director of Logistics for International Projects for Samaritan's Purse. He has worked in logistics for over 10 years, and thank you so much, Eric, for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I'm learning that it takes a wide variety of skill sets in an organization like Samaritan's Purse to make it run. Your role is often behind the scenes in logistics, but without it, we know we could never get the right supplies and materials into the hands of those in need. Can you tell us how you got started in logistics? Uh, Really, when I was at Michigan State uh, for my first degree, I was searching for a, a major. I had started in finance, I went into packaging, and ultimately... I was told that this new field of logistics would, you know, would be something that, you know, would be a, a good career. So I uh, took a course and uh, liked it and mm. so just continued on that path. Mm. And at the time, Michigan State was one of the f- uh, four universities that had an actual degree in logistics. And so I, I thought that was of interest. And, and so that's how I, I got started. Mm. So how did you make the transition to Samaritan's Purse? Uh, so... Uh, it was probably about 2005. I had been in uh, logistics for, at that point, 16 years and, um, you know, was really just searching for a way that I could serve the Lord more and knew I wasn't really cut out to be a pastor or anything like that. That wasn't really my gifting, but, you know, really wanted to serve God on a daily basis. And so I, I just started looking for positions, and, um, and just one day on, on, on what used to be monster.com, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the old job search board, um, I saw a role for a logistics coordinator at Samaritan's Purse. And at the time, my daughter had packed uh, shoeboxes for a few years at her uh, school, so I knew of the ministry mm-hmm. and um, was, was somewhat... Uh, like most people in the U.S., they think of SP and they think of OCC. Mm-hmm. And so I got on the website, looked, and you know, realized that we did so much more here. And so I sent my resume in, and that's kind of how it all got started. Great. And I'd love for you to explain um, the IMIT. I'm learning a lot of these new terms. You served on the very first incident management team in response to Cyclone Nargis in 2008, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you explain to us what the in- incident management team is and what it does? So the Emmet uh, really is when we call up a, um, a response for a, a disaster, uh, the Emmet really acts as the focal point for the ministry, and it, it sits here in Boone, and it's a group of um, uh, people who uh, work to, uh, you know, bring the full resources of the ministry to, the, you know, to the response and support the DART teams or the disaster assistance response teams that we actually send to the field to actually execute the response. Hmm. So these are all here locally? Yeah, the, the Emmet sits here in Boone. And it's a combination of people, uh, you know, there's logistics, there's a team leader, there's an admin assistant, there's a program coordinator, security, various roles that all work together to uh, coordinate the response for the ministry. Great. Thank you. Um, Can you tell me what it means to run logistics for an international relief organization? Uh, well, no two days are the same, and, uh, you, know, we really, you know, in our role, we never really know what's going to happen. Um, yes, we have our day-to-day activities, uh, but at any moment there could be there could be a, a natural disaster, obviously, that calls us to 
uh, change our priorities for that day. Um, we get involved in a lot of uh, projects that involve um, uh, not the typical locations that logisticians would be shipping to. So, you know, we send supplies to South Sudan and places like Niger and Mozambique and Haiti. Um, and so these are difficult places to get to uh, in some cases. Uh, you know, we have to know, uh, uh, you know, the way to package things and modes of transport to use. Um, fortunately, in a lot of cases, we have our own SP teams at the destination sites to help us get things through destination customs. So, you know, there's always, um, you know, something new, uh, new facing us, and it keeps things really interesting, you know, quite frankly. Hmm. So, which I can imagine, um, but could you give us an insight into your day-to-day and what it looks like? On a daily basis, uh, typically we're uh, coordinating shipments to at least two or three different countries, um, and that would include uh, working with vendors maybe here in the U.S. Uh, it could work, or it could include working with freight forwarders to get uh, rates. Uh, it could it could be uh, dealing with our uh, destination offices. Uh, to get requirements. Um, you know, we also are responsible for the readiness of our uh, e- emergency field hospitals. And so, you know, that involves uh, sourcing products uh, here in the U.S., uh, receiving them into the warehouse in Wilkesboro, uh, packaging them up correctly, and putting them away for, uh, for storage. Hmm. So I'm sure working with so many different countries and customs, things change constantly. So you're having to stay on top of that as well, even when things are relatively smooth. We do. um, um, But in a lot of cases, we do rely on our destination offices. So Mm -hmm. our, 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 you know, so my team really gets things to the destination port or seaport in most cases. And then we have an office there typically, uh, and they have logisticians there that will help get things through customs, you know, because things do change and um, rules and requirements and, you know, many countries uh, change and they don't provide as much um, guidance that U.S. Customs does. Mm-hmm. So when U.S. Customs makes a rule change, usually they change the rule and they give you one or two years to prepare for it, mm-hmm. you know, so that you can follow the new rule. In a lot of other countries, they don't really do that. So. Mm-hmm. So we spoke with Brock Kreitzberg several weeks ago, and he gave us great insight into how the team jumps into action when a disaster strikes. But what does it look like on your end? You've kind of given us a little bit of um, details, but when you get a call, a disaster's happened, and Samaritan's Purse is responding, what is your next move? Uh, Typically, we'll want to know what the uh, response would entail. Would it be a medical response? Would it be just a response where we're going to send non-food items like shelter plastic, hygiene kits, cooking kits, you know, things like that? Uh, size and scope of it, uh, you know, where, you know, where it is, you know, one of the first things we need is a consignee, you know, somebody in the uh, destination country that can receive the goods in for us. Um, So there's a lot of um, uh, background questions that we ask right away. And then, um, and and then, and then really the next question would be, you know, how soon do we want to leave? Mm you know, which is typically within a few days, if not the next day. Um, so uh, speed, you know, speed of the response as well is one thing. Hmm. So what has been your most challenging response you've ever had to support? Uh, I'd say probably the Haiti earthquake back in 2010, just due to the uh, sheer size of it. Um, you know, the earthquake happened on a, 
on a Tuesday at uh, like, like around five o'clock, I think it was dinner time. So a lot of people were in their homes and there was uh, massive casualties. And um, just the size of the response, uh, it um, through the about year that we responded to it, you know, we sent 16 chartered ships, you know, full ships. Uh, I think we did 11 air charters. We sent 20 or so sea containers. Mm-hmm. So it was just a huge, uh, just a huge response. Um, and so I, I'd say that was probably the most challenging, just based on the sheer volume. Hmm. And at that time, you know, really my group was only me and me and, uh, you, know, w- you know, one other person. And then I had a uh, DART responder in Florida helping with the response. So between the three of us, you know, we coordinated a lot of uh, sourcing and uh, transport down to Florida and loading of ships and airplanes and hmm. things like that. Wow. Which leads me to a question. I know I can imagine you work long hours when incidents arise. You're communicating across multiple time zones. How do you stay uh, motivated and um, just awake enough to do the job? You know, um, yeah, I, I just um, I just love serving here and I love serving God in my, you know, my stated field. And so it really, you know, motivation is not an issue. And um yeah, I, I just, um, you know, really have uh, never had an issue with that, you know, problem. And uh, I think it's just, uh, I, you know, think just knowing that there's, you know, people in need and uh, and then, you know, knowing that the you know, rest of the team is also working hard at it, that it, it just keeps me going. You know, there's really not an issue mm-hmm. there. So the Lord sustains you and gives oh, you yeah. what you need when Definitely. you need it. I think of the the verse in Second Corinthians, um, my grace is sufficient for you. That's my right. power made perfect in your weakness. So even when you are tired and weak, you don't feel it because he gives you that sufficiency. Yeah. It's really awesome. And then just naturally I, I I I you know, just typically operate on maybe five, six hours of sleep a night normally. Wow. And so when it's uh you know, when a crisis happens, depending on, on the size of it, um you know, losing a little bit of sleep's not a big deal mm. for me. Mm. Um, which also leads me to another question as we're talking about scripture. Um, I know staying grounded in your faith is probably the thing that sustains you. Are there any scripture verses that you cling to during grueling hours or tough times? I, I think during just all times or normal times, you know, Colossians 3.23, you know, do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord is, uh, is one verse that's always stuck in my mind because with, you know, with logistics, you know, we are in the background. There's a lot of details that we have to, uh, uh, deal with paperwork and packing of shipments and just, you know, just the, you know, just the, you know, just the whole shipment cycle that it's, it's, um, it's our goal, whether it's a disaster response or just a normal shipment to one of our field offices that, you know, all that we do, you know, we try to do it perfect, mm-hmm. you know, so that there's no, um, you know, so there's no issues for our uh, customer, which is typically a dart team or, or a uh, field office. And so, you know, just clinging to 323, you know, uh, you know, all that we do, you know, we want to do as if we're doing it for God. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And I know this is probably putting you on the spot and there might be many, but is there a story where it didn't look like you were going to be able to get in or something, but the Lord provided a way and gave you what you needed at the time that you needed? Yeah, it seems like every response um, always has um, a, a supplier, a 
uh, freight forward or somebody that God puts in our path mm-hmm. to help us out with, you, you, you know, in like that particular case. And actually one does come to mind. It was the, um, it was a cyclone that went through uh, Vanuatu, which is down by Australia. And um, so the cyclone went through Vanuatu and we had, um, we had made the decision to charter a plane out of Dubai uh, and load supplies there flight into Vanuatu and offload. And after we had chartered the plane and we had started the loading process, uh, you know, we got word that the airport at Vanuatu was closed because the runway mm-hmm. had developed a crack and so they wouldn't let any aircraft land. And so we already had the, the plane chartered, you know, the process was in the works. And so we thought, well, what are we going to do? You know, so first we thought, well, we would land in Australia and shuttle the supplies o- over to Vanuatu. Uh, you, know, you know, but when we checked with the operator, you know, they didn't have authority to land in Australia. Um, so there's an island right next to Vanuatu called uh, New Caledonia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is a French possession. And um, we, we don't do OCC on uh, New Caledonia, mm-hmm. and so we didn't have any contacts there. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, hey, I'll, I'll just send out a blind email to the seven or eight freight forwarders that I Googled and found mm-hmm. online, and maybe one of them will respond to us. And uh, so I sent out an email. And lo and behold, one guy did respond, this guy named Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he sent me back an email. I, I got your email. Can you please call me? So I called him and he said, yes, you know, we'll help. And now the plane is going to like leave Dubai in like two or three days at this point. And so um, we had two DART members who were actually had just arrived in Sydney. They were en route to Vanuatu. So we, you know, you know, so in that case, you know, we actually redirected them back to New Caledonia to meet with Francisco. And in the matter of a couple of days, he had met with uh, the local officials, uh, customs. He got uh, he got the approval for our our uh, plane to land, for the goods to be offloaded at the airport and transited through the country on a quick uh, temporary basis. Then he had contacted a steamship line, Shire Shipping, which is a local shipping line out of Australia, I think. And uh, basically, they had a ship that was actually you know, would be in New Caledonia at that time, but it would leave uh, maybe 12 hours before our plane arrived. So the shipping line held their ship for us and actually donated five sea containers of space. And, um, you know, which allowed us to move all the goods from the airport to this, uh, you know, port, load them into the sea containers and then get the supplies to, you know, over to Vanuatu uh, by Monday morning. And so it, it was really just a just you know just an amazing thing because it's like you know we knew nobody on right. on this island, and uh, you know for this you know person to call back and to jump into action in, in the span of two or three days really you know quite frankly have a huge impact on our uh, total response was amazing. Wow! And yeah. it was a God thing all the way. Yes. You know. This is why we are so excited to have you because yeah. we know so much goes yeah. into this. You know, and when we arrive at these countries. There are so many moving parts that got you there, and and so thank you. I'm sure there yeah. are many more stories like that, oh, yeah. but the Lord um, works and intervenes, I'm sure, many times. Yeah. So that's really awesome. Well, thank you. And as you mentioned, how things get there, um, I know often Samaritan's Purse airlift supplies using our own DC-8. How has that changed the course of action? 
Yeah, so before the DC-8, we had to send, uh, most of the supplies went commercial air freight, mm -hmm. so they would go on passenger planes, basically. So there was a lot of coordination that I had to do with freight mm -hmm. forwarders, getting supplies picked up, getting to the airport in time to meet cutoffs. And so there's a lot of coordination. Um, we had a lot of people who we had to rely on, freight forwarders, airlines, you know, things like that. Uh, now, uh, mm -hmm. pretty much, um, we still use commercial air freight once in a while, but um now with you know you know now with the dc8 um, it's pretty much um, a complete sp supply chain you know from mm -hmm. origin to destination and so we're in control of our our destiny more so than ever mm -hmm. and it makes it a lot uh, a lot more um, uh, stable for us you know for sure and and quite frankly quicker mm -hmm. Because in the past, when we did commercial air freight, you know, we were, you know, we we're really tied to the schedules of the airlines. And in, in this case, you know, we're, you know, we're actually making the schedule for most cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so one fun story, um, you helped manage logistics for a unique task of bringing the Land Rover back that Franklin drove from Mofrec, mm -hmm. um, or drove into Mofrec. Um, can you tell us about getting that back here? Yeah, so that was uh, really um, when I got involved. The you know the office over in Jordan had found the vehicle, and they had been working on some of the you know some of the you know local pieces. And so what we had to work with um, Herb over at um, over at Mafrock on was to get the vehicle um, cleaned because it was uh, it, it was had soil on it and vegetation growing out of it, you know things like that which you couldn't import it into the U.S. in you know, that condition. Uh, and we had to get it re-registered, and we had to get a freight forwarder to you know, work with the uh, local uh, transport authority to be, uh, you know, to be, um, to be able to uh, you know, send it out of the country. Um, and then we got it back here and had it delivered to Wilkesboro, and, um, and now they're in the process, I guess, of... Um, of um, of um, doing the refurbishing, mm -hmm. so yeah, it was a fun project actually. That's awesome because I know it's it's just a car, but it did use you know the Lord used that incident yeah. to to change Franklin's life That's and right. open his eyes and ultimately bring him to his knees. So thank you for working hard on that. So as we close, I really appreciate your insight. Is there anything that we can pray with you and in your logistics team? You know, I think just, uh, you know, just in general, being prepared, you know, constant, uh, you know, it's our uh, goal to be constantly ready for, you know, for all responses. And so it seems like we're either preparing for a response or mm -hmm. responding. So mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it's just, I, I think, just, uh, I think just to give us that uh, you know, wisdom and discernment to just know what to prepare for and, you know, to be, you know, just constantly ready to go. Mm -hmm. So. And your story helps explain earlier of the hoops you have to jump through sometimes. You know, you want to do it well and you want to execute these logistics well, but you're also dealing with people along the way. So praying mm -hmm. for compassion and that they can hear about Christ, you know, and yeah. Samaritan's Purse um, right. as you do it. So thank you. I know you want to do things with integrity. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Eric, for joining me today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you've been encouraged today, um, and please hit subscribe so that you can be notified directly when new podcasts are released. Thank you again, Eric. Thanks very much. Have a great week, audience. <laughs>